0: You're listening to Off the Record on KBVR Corvallis. Welcome back. I am DJ Florite and today I'm excited to be joined by Bo Wheeler. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, of (laughs) course. So you recently released your debut album Flying Colors on June 3rd and a lot of different experiences inspired this record. Can you tell us about it?
1: Yes, it's um, it's quite I'm really I'm really feeling amazing about this record. Not every recording that you do do you actually feel like it comes out in a way that you're you're super stoked on, but uh, this record was written through a time in my life where I was going through treatment for cancer and I also came out as trans and I in Canada you can get funding for a recording and I hadn't been I've never I couldn't get funding. And so I hadn't made a record for quite quite some time. So this record is a collection of m- the songs that I think are the most emotionally impactful from a, from like uh, quite a few years span. In, in my life, I've been writing since I was like a little kid, but I just hadn't made any recordings. And uh, so this this record, I was hoping to like record it live at a show. And this was set up and there was going to be a video and an album and everything like that. And then that was on March 15th, the day that everything got shut down for the pandemic. So, oh, my so- gosh. <laughs> Yeah. So then I was like, okay, well, um, can't do that. And I have a band, I play with the band. And, uh, my idea was that I wanted to do a live off the floor record, kind of like an old school record. Like I grew up listening to like John Lennon, Imagine and Ella Fitzgerald and all these old school 60s records where everything's live, including the vocal. And I wanted to do that. So I couldn't do that at that time. So I made a synth pop record during the pandemic where I played all the instruments. And then at the end of the pandemic, when things opened up a bit, I was able to go into the studio for three days with my band and we just recorded another record all live in three days.
0: Yeah, well, you're leading me right to the next question. So you were simultaneously working on another album. So what was that like working on two projects at once? Pretty,
1: pretty cool because they were vastly different projects.
0: So one is a synth pop
1: record, as I said, uh, uh, made with a producer named Jason Corbett of the band Actors. And so I got to play all of the instruments on that and it's highly produced where we like, go through every single melody and say is this strong enough do we do we want to rework this part and then this other record where like everything is live including the vocal so in in a a multi-track record where you're where it's highly produced you may sing the chorus like 30 times and then you would edit the vocal for pitch and rhythm and everything like that whereas the other record the first song on the record, "Open Up Your Heart," is we just turned on all the recording equipment and played the first song, and that's the first take and the only take we did of that song. There's no, there's nothing, there's been nothing done to it. So completely different experiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both terrifying in their own ways, but live off the floor is is pretty is pretty terrifying because you everybody has to get it all together at the same time, and it has to kind of you have to catch some fireflies in the jar there.
0: Is this something that you would do again? Would you write two albums at the same time again? Or would you rather just stick to one at a time?
1: I already have another full record's worth of stuff. So basically, I just write all the time. I I Sure. I mean, there was no other option at the time. It was the Mm -hmm. pandemic. So I just like all these opportunities were happening, but there were no live play. I like to play a lot live mm-hmm. so I there were no options for that so I just was like oh what can I do so I'll, I'll I'll do this and then I'll have two records ready for when the pandemic comes back online into relative normalcy and yeah now I'm just I, this is the first one I've put out and then I gonna put the other one out I have a couple more singles as well that are all already recorded so I just recorded a, like crazy during the yeah. pandemic
0: oh you're ready to go you've got the whole stack <laughs> lined up uh, yeah you recorded one with the band and then one solo. Do you have a preference? Do you like working solo or do you like working with a band more? I like both. I like both. Yeah. I had a really, I was really lucky uh,
1: when I was like a teenager, I met a lot of like really hotshot musicians that were like also little sweetie pies. And we just like play music until the middle of the night uh, in this old, like, house in east van and until like five o'clock in the morning i don't know how we didn't get shut down but we would pl- like just play music all night and they, everybody knew how to play different instruments and we just switched around and so i i uh, i got to learn how to play drums how to play bass how to play all those kinds of things i like playing all those kinds of things but then i think also as an artist sometimes you have to see like what what is the thing that you do that you feel like is your is your superpower like what is it that that sets you apart from other people and I think that like I do have I have had a lot of experience like singing and playing acoustic guitar live so that's that's kind of that's what I've done for my whole life so the the live off the floor record is is pretty much like a like it's a it's a record from my heart it's like it's it's something that I just wanted to make for myself in my life and it means a lot to me and I didn't really care at all whether people like it or they don't like it it's mostly for me to document my work and i feel like it's the best work that i've ever
0: done in my life yeah i love that you say it's your superpower that's really cool (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to describe that
1: yeah i think that the things that are really difficult in life for anybody in art that's what that's what ends up being their superpower like anything that makes life difficult usually i find with songwriting i guess we can't swear on here but (laughs) basically i always say about songwriting it's got this really this incredible power to turn a really dark experience into something beautiful it's kind of like an alchemy and i like to say it's kind of like turning crap but with a different word that starts with s into gold And that's the cool thing about about songwriting and art is that, like, maybe if you write something about something that's incredibly personal to you that was really difficult, it might make somebody out there who listens to it feel like they're not not alone. Yeah. If they have to had the same experience, you know.
0: Yeah. And you said earlier that you've been writing since you were a kid, but you also you grew up with a grandfather who played piano with Nat King Cole and Sammy Davis Jr., so have you <laughs> took that from your little bio you sent me? <laughs> um, yeah. So have you always then been, been a musical person growing up with him? Well, it's a good question. Yeah, no, I didn't
1: actually grow up with him. He died really young before I was born or and all of my rest of my cousins and my Mom and her sisters were really musical. They loved singing and they just always sang. My mom's an insane singer, but wasn't a professional singer. She was discouraged by my grandfather from becoming a professional musician. That's what she wanted to do. But it was really rough back then in the bars and stuff like that. He didn't want her to do it. So she didn't end up doing that, but she sang with us from like before we were born. And I just remember growing up, like sitting in the back of her muscle car, she's like five feet tall. So she'd have like a pillow below or a pillow behind her looking, still looking through the steering wheel. And we'd like drive <laughs> around town it was the 80s or 90s with no seatbelts because there were no seatbelts in the back of the muscle car. Just singing at the top of our lungs and like not hitting any of the notes, just like totally, you know, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And we just always sang. So we were we were around like music. And singing and a professional quality ear that really helped me learn how to sing in tune. But nobody in my family plays instruments. That was just, I was really, really, really attracted to instruments. I mean, yeah, my grandmother remarried another jazz musician. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he had a bunch of like Hammond organs and like drums and stuff in his basement. So that was around, but nobody taught me. I just wanted to do it. And I just, Mm -hmm. it was just magnetized towards it.
0: Yeah. Which was the first instrument that you played?
1: I started off with guitar. My mom really encouraged me to play guitar. And I had a really, really snarly guitar teacher who, (laughs) who basically like my grandmother was a nurse and she nursed this guy back to health health, because he was in a really bad motorcycle accident and he lost the use of his hand, he was a guitar player and he had to learn how to play the other way, left-handed and was really like, had a lot of angst. And it was incredible. I guess like the one thing I learned from him is like, when you're playing music, never stop. Like if you make a mistake, don't stop. But actually that's what he did. He, he, he never stopped playing, even though he faced massive adversity. It didn't do much for his personality, (laughs) but he, I have to give it to him. He was a survivor. And he, uh, like, I, I don't know, I guess sometimes I think adversity really works in the favor of, of an artist. Like I found him to be very difficult to take lessons from didn't, didn't last for very long. I think a lot of people in the eighties and nineties had that experience. I basically was like, screw this. I'm just going to teach myself. I just got a book and just learned by myself and went from there.
0: Wow. (laughs) Self-taught. Yeah. It's, uh, do you play music? Yeah, I started playing piano when I was seven, and then I did that through elementary school. At one point, I did want to quit. I didn't like it anymore, but my mom was like, no, you have to keep doing it. It's good for your brain. And I'm like, eh, but I don't want to. But then I'm glad she did make me still do it. But then I got to high school and then didn't play piano anymore. But at my high school, we had a super awesome guitar teacher and you could take it like as a class. So I took beginning guitar sophomore year and it was super awesome. So then junior and senior year, I took advanced guitar. So now I play guitar too.
1: Very cool. Yeah. I think a lot of people have really difficult experiences with learning music because it's frustrating. And also the, yeah, the way it's taught is, is really disconcerting. It's, it's generally lots of most people have awful experiences. I think that like the most important thing with music is to, and I mean, even as a professional musician is to make sure that you keep your inspiration and that you're always having fun, that you're approaching it as play and not as work, but that's going to make you work harder because if you're just loving it, like you're, you're immersed in music. You are, you know, you're working in radio. Like it's, it's just when you're doing it, because it's fun, it makes you want to do way more. It's just the way the brain works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes then when you make it work, you're like, well, this isn't fun anymore. Cause it's not my hobby. Exactly. Yeah. I
1: think you can make like a lot of stuff is like, people think that you have to be classically trained to be a good musician and classical music is just one genre of music it's just one way of learning music i did go on to go to university for music and learn all of that kind of stuff but out of interest
0: my own interests
1: i think that's the best way to approach it
0: yeah pick up a guitar learn some basic chords one four five you've got a song there you go one four five three chords in the truth that's all you need yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite instrument to play I love playing the drums. I've
1: I've always loved the drums. I have my uh, my uncle's drums that are like this uh, vintage '60s pearl kit that uh, is one of my. It's not an expensive kit or anything like that, but it's just. I, well, I guess I, I guess I can't name the band that I also I play in another band that starts with a C and it's an all female assigned at birth band where we we improvise everything it's it's a very it's a rude word so I don't think I could say it right mm-hmm. now but basically the idea was like taking back the power of female assigned at birth people after jazz school there was like you know I thought I was going to go there and meet a lot of Female assigned birth people that played all different kinds of instruments, but at that time it was just basically people that played flute and and like piano. Nobody was encouraged back then to do different things with music, and you really had to work against a lot of adversity. I mean, I, I came up in the time of like Riot Girl era. Like, I played an organ actually. I went down to like played like I don't know if you know the band Bratmobile. Mm-mm. They're in the experience. They're they're notable. They're in the Experience Music Project in Seattle. They're part of the you know, the history of Northwest coast music in the U S they were like a kind of like around at the same time as the Olympia scene and Sleater Kinney and all that riot girl movement. And Bratmobile was like, there were two twins. One of them was the lead person in Bratmobile and the other twin I played in a band with. And so we went down the coast and played lots of shows in that scene in that era. And it was, it was tough. Like it was, it was crazy. Like people had like touring stories about how like people would like take somebody's head and put them out the back of the van on the highway and hold them by the concrete. Like it was, it was like rough. It was not, it was like, (laughs) it was kind of a different time. And you really had to like, that's probably part of what drove me to learn all these instruments and stuff like that is that you basically had to be spectacular if you were a female assigned to birth in that kind of climate.
0: Wow. That's (laughs) awful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't experience that personally, but I did, you know, I, I worked in my early career and I was in Tanya Tagax band. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's, uh, yeah, she's like one of, in Canada, the Inuit is the Aboriginal people that are in the, in the North, Of Canada and she was one of the first there's a tradition of throat singing up there and Mm -hmm. she was one of the first artists to start to perform that type of music in this time period like it's it's really just a a women's game it's not actually a performance thing and I played with her and halfway through the halfway through the tour she became wildly successful she was on the Dave Letterman show she collaborated with Bjork and like the Kronos Quartet like she became yeah And also played with some of the new pornographers early on. I don't know if you know, Mm -hmm, you're familiar with them. Yeah. So it was a a cool time for music back then. And to grow up in that is also tapped in some ways.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And you said earlier you really like to perform live. What do you like about it? What's your favorite thing?
1: I think that for me when i'm performing live the most i do a lot of i perform solo and with a band and i think that my favorite thing about performing is i was inspired by john lennon when i was a little kid i felt like he had a message not the best musician but always had kind of this message of love that's underlying and that doesn't really exist like a like a like not love in a sexual sense but like that kind of idea of love is not really in our mainstream culture. And I find when I perform, that's kind of like what I hold in my mind when I'm performing is like, how do you break down the barrier of the between the audience and the performer? Like people are used to consuming music and art now through a screen. And also they're used to it being helped by lots of technology to be better than what it actually is. And I like to like just come off the stage and be like, this is just a person with a guitar and that's it. I have no tricks. This is what this is. And it kind of is jarring <laughs> for some people. And like, yeah, a visceral performance can sometimes jog people out of the thinking that, you know, like you, you can actually break down barriers with music it is possible i just went on tour in like alberta which is basically the texas of canada talked about coming out as trans and I had, there was a lot of elderly in the audience I, at the beginning of the tour i was like am i going to talk about this stuff i don't know how this is going to go it was amazing awesome <laughs> yeah it's uh i think that like music is has an incredible power for positivity like i, I mean i played a few songs first so people can get to know you. Mm -hmm. And then talked about transness talked about, I like to call it transiness. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Talk about how like, you know, this is just being, uh, this is just language that makes everybody feel safe and everybody feel like they're a part of the, uh, of the conversation.
0: Yeah. Is there a favorite venue you have to perform at? Uh,
1: Favorite venue. Well, I'm playing at the Commodore Ballroom coming up. I'd say that's one of my favorites. Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver is, it's like this old venue that's still like a, like a kind of a punk rock venue, like you get, but it's been around since Prohibition. It's got a sprung horsehair floor and everybody's played there. Like huge, huge acts, cat power, like tons, tons and tons of people. Stevie Ray Vaughan, like crazy people. I'm going to be playing there for the opening of Pride with Queers Funk, so I'm super super stoked to be playing with them and
0: uh, playing at Vancouver Pride. Cool. What are your pre-show rituals? Ah, oh lord. <laughs> uh, I don't
1: really have pre-show rituals other than I I sing like six hours a day, so I'm warmed up already. And what I usually do is just sing the same song to begin with. I usually sing that song this is the first song on my record open up your heart it's a song that i feel really comfortable with and really strongly about and i believe in it and i think that and it's it's something that i i know how to do so it's just kind of like a security blanket for me and it also runs the gamut it's like really soft and really loud and it gets me going gets me
0: fired up good opener song yeah how did you find your sound good question
1: I think the way to find your own sound is to have a voracious listening appetite. So as an artist, I think it's really important to expose yourself to all different kinds of music. And for me, what I started to do is listen to music that I actually hate, because sometimes there's things in there that you wouldn't find anywhere else because you're pushing it away. So you you know like you you can find something in any kind of music that can inspire you and i think what people when they say they like something really what they mean is they're familiar with it and so i started to try and just like go into any types of music that are difficult for me to listen to and draw that in so i think that what happens is is when you bring a lot of different kinds of music into your brain it's like eating a ton of different kinds of food your brain munches all that stuff out and just kicks out answers basically. And that's what songwriting is. It just comes up with these ideas and you just have to say yes to them. And I think that if you have a lot of different influences, it's really hard for somebody to peg who like, if you, if you only listen to like Taylor Swift, love Taylor Swift, love, I've learned pretty much every single song she's ever written. Same. But Yeah. If you only <laughs> listen to that, then you're going to sound like Taylor Swift. I mean, we see that in Olivia Rodriguez. She like grew up on Taylor Swift. I love her record, but it does sound very similar. So if you if you want to make if you want to carve out your own path as an artist, you have to have wildly varied influences.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's (laughs) that's a great take.
1: Yeah. I mean, I went to, when I went to music school, I got singing is not screaming D like I got a horrible grade. And they also said, you need to listen to more than just rock and pop music. And I disagreed with the singing is not screaming. I still think singing is screaming, <laughs> but I took the other to heart and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything that I can about all different kinds of music. I hated jazz because that was what old people listened to in my family. So I listened (laughs) to tons of that. I listened to tons of music from all around the world. It used to be called world music, but I think that's a ridiculous term. I'm not sure if it's been updated. It definitely should be. But I started to listen to music like indigenous music from all over the world and rock and opera and traditional Indonesian music, like anything. (laughs) And I think that like, that's what opens your ears and your mind and
0: your imagination. Yeah. How would you describe your sound?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I have to say it's singer songwriter music, but that really doesn't tell you much. It's, it's, it's kind of like if John Prine and Freddie Mercury were mixed together. Basically, like it's folk music with a with a wild pyrotechnic vocal. So it's it's a strange combination. Like <laughs> I do a lot of like folk shows where you have to sit on the stage and people go down the the, you know, the line. You're sitting on the stage and other people are performing. And then it comes to me and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like I <laughs> just like it's it's a loud belligerent vocal and if you're not into it you gotta go somewhere else but it's it's just like I, it's what i listen to i listened to robert plant growing up i listened to little richard i listened to all that kind of stuff but i also listen to folk music johnny cash and stuff like that so i don't know i guess
0: it's it's got its own jam now yeah loud folk music you've created <laughs> a new genre in your opinion what is the best part about living in canada
1: I would have to say healthcare. Our healthcare is incredible. I, My family would have been swamped by the type of treatment that I had to go through. And I s- am still supported. I just had a major surgery two weeks ago that's also keeping me healthy because of my, my cancer uh, history. And had I, I'm com- I'm completely healthy, but without all of that, I wouldn't be able to have afforded any of that. The the care is incredible. Uh, People hear things in the States. I think about how like there's long wait times and all of that up here. That is if you're, you know, kind of okay. If you have a life-threatening illness and you are young, as I was, you get top-notch care up here. I can't say enough about that. And I think that everybody deserves that. My heart goes out to people in the States that are struggling with those kinds of things, because it's hard enough to go through a health issue to also have to worry about the finances of that. It's very challenging.
0: Yeah. And even with insurance, it's wildly expensive.
1: It's incredible. Like one drug that I took was 1500 bucks, like just one drug one day. And and I went through a treatment for two years. So Yeah. yeah, I think that I I believe that all humans deserve to be taken care of. I I think that basically there's a difference between right and wrong. If you see somebody beside you that's having trouble, the right thing to do is to help them. Yes. That's that's what taxes go to, in my opinion. And mostly... The people that don't want to pay into that are people that can afford it for themselves anyway. So really, I don't think this is a financial issue. It's about cruelty. I think that kindness is, is the answer in a society. And my experience is that there's a most people are kind. It's just that there's a lot of so much of our world is controlled by a very small group of people that had to fight really hard. Some of them didn't have to fight really hard. They have a lot of privilege at the top. And they just want to keep it. And I think that like most people, the majority are lovely and kind and want to help each other. That's been my experience. I, I alluded to that in this tour that I just went on where I went to Alberta, Alberta. Alberta is very conservative. And the tour that I went on was like a lot of like house concerts and we played in old folks' homes and stuff like that. As a queer person, as a trans person, the it's understood that you're not supposed to talk about these things. And we've, these days, I feel like we watch the TV, we watch the news, and we see a lot of real polarization. But my experience was that, like, I think that people are actually kind if you can sit down and have a conversation that, like, I don't know, for me, I basically, like, was talking about transness. And I think that, like, people may not understand all aspects of that but it's basically just, I mean, I didn't, I came out, I came out as trans because I was working with a queer youth group and there were a lot of trans youth in that youth group. And I, this was quite a while ago and I wasn't familiar really with how to use they, them pronouns or any of that. And they were like, please use these pronouns. And I was like, well, this is just bad grammar. I don't know if I can do this. And then I realized like, this is something I really love these kids. And this is something that I can do to make them feel comfortable. I'm going to do this for them to make them feel loved. And then I realized this applies to me. (laughs) Like, this is, this is who I am. And there wasn't anything like this when I grew up that people were just mean. They didn't have language to describe people that like, were like fell differently on the spectrum. But I mean, everybody knows a little male assigned to birth person who likes to like, bake or a female assigned birth person who likes to like play hockey or like, you know, it's just that. That's all it is. That's the way I described it. It's far more complex than that, obviously, but that's the way I described it on this tour to try and reach people that may not understand this at all. Because in Vancouver yesterday or the day before I was in an arts part of town where they have a theater, there's a theater school there that gives summer camps for learning how to do drag for youth. And there's been massive protesting and hate, so much so that this little kid's theater school has to have security guards out the front. So there was a protest planned. I don't think it's a protest. It was basically hate and bigotry planned for two days ago in Vancouver. And the queer community and arts community planned a counter protest. And it was basically a huge rainbow festival. It was insane. It was amazing. So many people came down and showed their support for the queer community and those queer children. And the opposite side had signs saying things like, you're sexualizing children. And for me, I just, I don't agree. I feel as though You're born a certain way. Everybody who's a parent knows that you can assert only a certain amount of influence on a kid, but they're going to be who they are. And these kids are just being who they are and they don't want to be harassed for it by adults. So take your signs and take them somewhere else. (laughs) That's what I have to say about it.
0: Okay, this is a major turn um, for this next question. Yeah. But if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Oh wow. I love your your left turn there. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing that
1: comes to mind is on the west coast of, of uh, like just on the west coast, right by Vancouver here, Vancouver Island is this big island that's the size of the UK. And up the coast there, there's uh an area called Tofino where you can learn to surf and stuff like that. And in that area there are trees that are 1,500 years old and people still want to log them. They're old, old growth trees. So these trees are almost like from the beginning of our calendar, (laughs) like year zero. That's how old they are. So I think I would say if I were a tree, I'd be one of those ancient rainforest trees, like one of those old Douglas firs or cedars. Mostly, I don't. Don't aspire to be like them or never could be, but I would just like to bring awareness towards them because I think that they are incredibly special. They're beings and they need to be protected.
0: What was the last book you read? I will read anything with
1: an elf in it. I'm a huge nerd with my reading, but uh, recently, what have I been reading? I'm reading actually the picture of Dorian Gray right now some good queer literature. But yeah, I do, I am a big like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter fan, all that kind of thing. Dune. I I love Dune. Anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do all love all that kind of thing. Are you, are you a are you a science fiction nerd? Not really. No. I in like fourth grade, I tried to read Harry Potter, wasn't into it. And then I tried again no. later and I was like, I still don't like this. And then people kept telling me like okay, well, the first book is not the best. You just got to get past that one. And I was like, but I don't want to read this whole book. Just (laughs) like it's so long. Totally. Yeah. One that's truly cool is
1: the stuff written by Ursula K. Le Guin are pretty cool. A female assigned to birth writer in the midst of a male-dominated genre. I think she's pretty cool and a way better writer. Plus, I don't know if I completely support J.K. Rowling after her, some of her comments on transness anymore, but uh, there you have it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What actor would you cast to play yourself in a movie about your life? Ooh,
1: wow. What actor? Oh, man. This is a tricky one. I think maybe I like Erica Linder. I don't know if you know who Erica Linder is. The, Erica Linder is a, a queer model, but also actor and has been in a couple of queer movies. I think that her pronouns are she, her, really plays with gender in a cool way and went through a mask period that I thought was really empowering. She's playing with gender now in different ways as we are all like doing throughout our life. But there was a mask period there that I really identified with. So probably say her.
0: What is the coolest place you visited? Well. I have to say,
1: hmm, that's a tricky one. I had a really impactful visit to Indonesia by myself when traveling. In the 60s, there were like four women chosen by a male scientist to study the great apes in the 60s. So like Diane Fossey, Jane Goodall, and Berate Galdicus were sent off into remote areas to study chimpanzees and gorillas, and orangutans. And I took a course with Berete Geldikas at the University in Vancouver. And she wrote a book about how she lived in remote Borneo with orangutans. And I was like, I have to go to Indonesia. I also studied the music from Indonesia, Vancouver. There's a, in Indonesia, the classical music is is played on a gong orchestra. It's called a gamelan. And you have to have the entire orchestra in order to play the instruments because they're tuned together. You can't take one instrument and play it with another. And there was a an orchestra donated to the university I went to. So I studied that music and went to Indonesia and studied that music there in Bali. It was pretty impactful. I think that would be that would be the place, Bali,
0: Ubod. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really cool. Some of these answers are a nerd's paradise, aren't
1: they? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: So you have a tattoo of the ship that is also your album cover. Which one came first? The album artwork mm. or tattoo?
1: So as I like if you pass the the tattoo came first. So if you pass the five year mark of being cancer free, you are kind of out of the woods in terms of your biggest risk. And so I was like kind of if I get through this, I want to go to Greece when I get to the five year mark. But it was the pandemic. So I got a tattoo instead. And it's <laughs> <laughs> it's uh all of these things sound like a lot of privilege, and they are. I'm very lucky to have my health and this. so my friend Shannon Hammett made this tattoo for me. I chose this ship, and basically it's about kind of being true to yourself. That was my lesson through cancer. So I thought, oh, what am I gonna put on the front of this record? Well, that's what symbolizes this period of songwriting. So I'm just gonna put the title in the flag there and uh and use that
0: and now you've got your <laughs> it's like reverse of when people get like something to symbolize their album as a tattoo after you had the tattoo first and now it's your album artwork
1: yeah yeah it's uh I think that like with the arts and music I feel like for myself the main thing that allows you to play music you asked about style earlier Uh, in your own style is basically just listening to yourself and taking the risk of being your actual self in front of strangers. And that's a harder thing than it seems. It's always terrifying. It never goes away. But I think that like, it's also thrilling and beautiful. And I think that like, just allowing people into your story, lets them know your work in a, deeper way. I didn't used to talk about what my work was about. I just wanted to stand alone. But I think that people really relate more when you allow them into yourself a little bit more. And uh, I am a private person, but I do believe in the power of the arts. And and I do and I I teach music. So I I have a lot of youth that I work with, especially queer non-binary youth. And I really, I always think about them what I'm putting out work and like, I always try and hold standards, like of like what, how would they see this? Am I making the right decision putting these things out? And I, I, if if I say to them, "You have to be yourself," then I guess I have to too.
0: Beautiful. Is that your only tattoo, or do you have any others? It's my only. Do you want more? I do. I do. What hobbies do you have outside of music?
1: Mm. Um. What hobbies do I have? Well. I, I always like, when I was a little kid growing up in the eighties, I was really into skateboarding. There was a, like a skate shop here called, uh, Skull Skates, Pete's Hot Shop. And it was the only skateboarding shop in Vancouver in the eighties. And it's like worldwide renowned. It's, uh, in, there's one in Japan. There's, there's a few of them. And I grew up just going there. Like at that time it was like, not acceptable for female assigned at birth people to skateboard at all. I took some harsh knocks for that, but my sister and I both skateboarded and we had my dad's fifties Oak deck and we got it. We got another board and we just loved it. Now, now it's so amazing to see female assigned at birth people skateboarding all over the place. And my other hobby is also hockey. So when I was a little I mean, I'm not playing right now because I stopped during the pandemic. But when I was a little kid, I was the only female assigned to birth person playing hockey in the league in all of the city at that time. There was one person who was older and then they weren't allowed to play any longer. And I played and that was it. And I took serious, harsh crap from the parents of the people on my team. And it was not a cool time. And now in Canada... I don't, our $5 bill had a female assigned to birth person playing hockey on it. I think it's changed now, but that was a freaking cool thing to see. <laughs> for yeah, me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this time period has so many difficult things going on in it, but also there's a lot of beautiful things in this time period happening. And I really feel like there's going to be a real flowering of the arts right now after the pandemic, because so much has changed in like two years. It's almost like my parents grew up, my parents are boomers. So you hear that time period canonized as this beautiful time. I think it was a beautiful time for white men. It was about sexual freedom for white men and freedom to be who they were. At this time period, same thing. There were Two years of such exponential change. But now I think it's more inclusive of more types of people, indigenous stories, uh, queer stories, all different kinds of stories in terms of mental health, all different kinds of brains, all different kinds of gender. I feel like this is such an incredible time period to be living through. And a lot of the friction that's happening right now is because things have already changed.
0: All right. So final question. What is your favorite Uh-oh. summer snack?
1: Favorite summer snack. Ooh, this is hard. This is very hard. I'm gonna go. It it sounds extremely privileged, but I'm gonna have to go with my favorite sandwich, which is sesame seed bagel with lox and cream cheese. It's it works at any time of the year. I feel yeah, I'm feeling it. That's The, true. the coast, is, you know, the coast has really amazing
0: salmon. Do you have great salmon in Oregon? Probably. However, I wouldn't know. I don't like fish. <laughs> a terrible sandwich anyway <laughs> i love a bagel though you can never go there. wrong with a bagel okay
1: good 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 awesome i ha- we had them last night or the other night at a campfire well we can't have campfires anymore but before they were banned <laughs> we oh, had that them Sounds nice. the campfire went swimming at the beach the other night it was very very beautiful did you toast the bagels on the fire that would have been a lot of skill no That's we didn't a, yeah yeah eating them without getting the dog in the sandwich was you know yeah very exciting times for the dog so uh we just managed to eat them with a stick you know getting the stick and the cream cheese and putting it on the bagel
0: yeah the best i'm I'm sure it was great for everyone that likes to eat fish but you can can never go wrong with a bagel sandwich so i'm sure it's delicious that's the truth it's the truth Well, Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. Um, Anything else you want to share or let people know where they can find your music and social media? Yeah.
1: Follow me on Instagram. uh, Bow Wheeler official. B E A U is how you spell my first name. Bo Wheeler official on Instagram. Follow me on Spotify. Uh, What else? I've got a website. That's just bowwheeler.com. And I'm all over the everything. I'm. I think Bo the Dreamer is my Twitter. Who knows how to work Twitter? Yeah. So uh, yeah, please hit me up. Contact me if if you wish and reach out and chat about music or or songwriting or anything
0: that you wish. Awesome! Thank you so much for coming on the show and tuning in. That was Bo Wheeler off the record. See you next time.
2: I've never seen somebody